Each one of us is being raised up by God for a reason. If your circumstances seem bleak, imagine if you could believe God's reasoning. Today, Pastor Daniel will ask you to radically change your perspective as we consider the story of Esther. Her gifts and history may not have seemed like a recipe for greatness, but through the Lord, great things happen. Listen and consider how you look at your life through your own eyes versus God's. Now, here's Pastor Daniel with part three of his message entitled, The Bachelor. That you are not in charge of your own life. You know how I know? Think about your heart beating. Do you make it beat every day? No, you don't. Think about the air you breathe. Do you create that air? Do you create the lungs that are able to breathe that air to fuel your whole body? No. Did you create food? No. Did you create your digestive system that actually can take that food, digest it, turn it into energy so that your body can run? Did you do that? No. See, all the most important knobs God has placed on his side of the wall, he is in total charge. Not one of us is going to breathe one breath longer than God ordained, no matter how much hard cardio you do. And you should still do hard cardio. Our days are numbered by the Lord. And we have to realize who is in charge. And ultimately, as followers of Jesus, we realize that God is in charge. And then we also realize that God has placed other people in charge over us. Let me give you an example. I was just talking to someone recently. They got fired from their job. I'm like, why'd you get fired? Oh, well, the boss told me what to do, and I told him I didn't want to do that. And I'm like, well, that was pretty dumb, wasn't it? He said, yeah. If you work for a boss, that boss has to make the decisions. And even you may not like, you may think the decision's wrong, but that's not your call. But how many, I mean, we live in a question authority culture. Thank you, hippies turned boomers. Right? Question authority. But you know what the problem is? Is there certain times you could say, well, look, the speed limit says I'm not allowed to go over 60. Well, I wanted to go 90 because I could. You get pulled over. The cops would say, well, that's great that you thought you could. Here's your nice citation. Right? Because you forgot who's in charge. Like, if you go onto a, a highway, there's police, and they get to, they get, and even if the police is wrong, they're still the ones who have the authority in that situation, whether we like it or not. And I think for all of us, it's so important to remember who's in charge. Not only that God is in charge, but in all the spheres of our lives. Now you might say, well, that is not good. See, that's the problem. That's why I don't like Christianity because it's, you know, it's, everything's just going to stay the way that it is. Nothing's going to get better because this is the way it goes. No, no, listen. If everybody remembers who's in charge, and if God is in charge, and God will call us to love people, to serve people, to be compassionate, kind, all these things. Not that everyone always gets it right, but that's the way it's supposed to be. So everybody has to remember who's in charge. 
And in your life, what you will find is that all of us have multiple authorities in our lives. I think about here at Crossroads. I might be the lead pastor. There's a board of directors. I'm accountable to them. If I go in, the board says, hey, that's, you're doing a terrible job. Then I have to change or I can't be the lead pastor here. See, everybody has authority. Vashti forgot who was in charge. What she did ended up costing her her crown. She's banished from the kingdom. All because she forgot that her husband, the king, was the one who called the shots. Now, of course, she can make the case, is it right, is it wrong? In some ways, it's inconsequential. See, King Ahasuerus is responsible for what's in his authority, and we are responsible for where we are. And as long as it's not immoral, you could say maybe it was, maybe it wasn't. But don't forget who's in charge. And ultimately, God's in charge of your life. And I think if God is in charge of your life, you will also honor the authorities that God has placed over you as well. Because that's what, isn't that what God says, right? If you say, Lord, should I, should I honor the authority above me? The Lord's going to be like, oh, no. No, of course it is. See, that's when you have authority issues, it's really you have a problem with God because God teaches us how to be under authority. Jesus was under authority. And for most of us, we don't like being under authority. So we resist all the authority. But really, being under authority is the way God designed us. We were designed to be under authority. Ultimately, God and then other peoples. And that authority, it's a mutual authority. So look at what happens next. Chapter 2, verse 1. After these things, when the wrath of King Ahasuerus subsided, he remembered Vashti, what she had done, and what had been decreed against her. Then the king's servants who attended to him said, let beautiful young virgins be sought for the king, and let the king appoint officers in all the provinces of his kingdom that they may gather all the beautiful young virgins to Shushan the citadel into the women's quarters under the custody of Hegei, the king's eunuch, custodian of the woman, and let beauty preparations be given them. Then let the young women who pleases the king be queen instead of Vashti, and this thing pleased the king, and so he did. Now, I call this season one of The Bachelor. Because this is The Bachelor right here. So you got the king of the Medo-Persian Empire. He's now single. And he remembers Vashti. Now, what you, history tells us is that King Ahasuerus went out on a bunch of uh, uh, military expeditions. Almost all of them failed. So there's a time lapse between Vashti and this party and him putting her away, and now him realizing, oh, I mean, I miss Vashti, and I'm not married, and, you know. So there's a time period where he has these lapsed military conquests, and then he's like, oh, man, what are we going to do now? And the servant said, listen, this is what I want you to do. We're going to go through all of your kingdom. We're going to bring all the beautiful young virgins. We're going to have them come. We're going to put them in the women's quarters. They're going to be under the care of a eunuch named Haggai, and they're going to be given spa treatments, Literally, that beauty preparations, it was perfume, all, all these different things that they did, right? And then the one who pleases the king, that's going to be the next queen. And I call it season one of The Bachelor, because the only thing that's missing here is the rose and the virgins. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Sorry. 
Yikes. Sorry. I'm not sure about the second one, but the roses are missing from the TV show. Now, historians tell us, like Josephus, that there was 400 young women who were chosen. Now, I, I can't belabor it because I don't want to spend all my time on this, but like, you might say, this is horrible. And in some ways, it is because the king gets to do whatever he wants to do. These women, the women who weren't chosen, they ended up living as widows for the rest of their lives, couldn't get married. And you have to realize, if you look at history, every culture that does not have the finished work of Jesus as its foundation, that's the way women get treated. Every single one. And you look at any culture where the gospel of Jesus Christ is the foundation of a culture, and you find women have a whole different set of rights. Why? Because Jesus was the great champion and liberator of women. Jesus was. I had someone say to me, oh, well, they were looking like the Scandinavian countries, like, you know, there's almost no Christians there. I'm like, no, no, you got to look at their history, not where they are today. Because Christianity was the foundation of those cultures, that people are equal, that, that, that God created people in the image and likeness of God. And so this is a historical document. And as the Bible, it's not saying that this is the right thing. It's, as I like to say, narrative is not normative. When the news tells you that something bad happened, it doesn't mean that they condone it. They're just telling you what happened. And in this case, we're getting the details of what happened with this king. But he's like, like a king, he's like, that sounds good, right? He's like, it's a good plan. Look at what happens in verse five. In Shushan, the citadel, there was a certain Jew whose name was Mordecai, the son of Jair, the son of Shimeel, the son of Kish, a Benjamite, verse six. Kish had been carried away from Jerusalem with the captives who had been captured with Jeconiah, the king of Judah, whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried away. And Mordecai had brought up Hadassah, that is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother. The young woman was lovely and beautiful. When her father and mother died, Mordecai, took her as his own daughter. So it was when the king's command and decree was heard and when many young women were gathered at Shushan, the citadel, under the custody of Haggai, that Esther also was taken to the king's palace into the care of Haggai, the custodian of the women. Verse nine, now the woman, the young woman pleased him and she obtained his favor so he readily gave beauty preparations to her besides her allowance. Then seven choice maidservants were provided for her from the king's palace, and he moved her and her maidservants to the best place in the house of the woman. Esther had not revealed her people or family, for Mordecai had charged her not to reveal it. And every day, Mordecai paced in front of the court of the women's quarters to learn of Esther's welfare and what was happening to her. Verse 12, each young woman's turn came to go into King Ahasuerus after she had completed 12 months preparation according to the regulations for the women. For thus were the days of their preparation apportioned, six months with oil of myrrh, and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women. Thus prepared, each young woman went to the king, and she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the women's quarters in the king's palace. 
In the evening she went, and in the morning she returned to the second house of the women, to the custody of Shashgaz, the king's eunuch who kept the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and called for her by name. Now when the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who was taken her as his daughter to go into the king, she requested nothing but what Haggai, the king's eunuch, the custodian of the women, advised. And Esther obtained favor in the sight of all who saw her. So Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus and to the royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign. The king loved Esther more than all the other women, and she obtained grace and favor in his sight, more than all the virgins. So he set the royal crown upon her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king made a great feast, the feast of Esther, for all his officials and servants, and he proclaimed a holiday in the provinces and gave gifts according to the generosity of the king. What we learn here is that Esther is God's choice for a reason. See, Esther is God's choice for a reason. Now, we learn a lot about Esther here. First, we learn that her cousin or her uncle's name is Mordecai. And Mordecai was from the tribe of Benjamin. And his grandfather, his great-grandfather were part of the the, the group who were conquered by the Babylonians and ended up in Babylon. And we also find out that this woman, her name is Hadassah in the, in the Hebrew, which literally means, means myrtle. Esther means star in the common language of that day. And, and what you find is that Esther was raised by her cousin or her uncle because her parents had died. Now, just think about that for a second. You could imagine that the details of Esther's life, she could have been a pretty bitter person. I mean, she lost her parents. She, she was right. But we find out that she's lovely and beautiful. I love that line about Esther. What it means is that Esther was beautiful inside and outside. And my sisters, can I, can I share with you? Our culture wants to focus you on being beautiful on the outside. And don't get me wrong. That's not a bad thing. But God's standard for beauty is just not your skin. It's not just your skin. It's not just your dress size. It's not just your fashion choices. God's design for women is to make them beautiful on the inside. And really, internal beauty turned outward is external beauty. And our culture flips that whole thing around. Esther is a model of a woman who's beautiful on the inside. And her interior beauty, when turned outward, grants her favor with everyone she comes in contact with. I mean, you hear about this woman. She's, she's beautiful on the inside. She ends up in this group, and as she gets into this eunuch, Hege, she finds favor with him. And she finds favor with him so much so that she's given special treatment by this guy. Now, you have to realize that they went and they found the most beautiful, externally beautiful women in all of, in, in all of the kingdom. Let's say 400 of them were there, and this one gal is, is singled out because of her interior beauty, the beauty of God in her heart, that gentle and quiet spirit that God loves. 
that humility. I mean, everything about Esther's story is a model of not arrogance and, but of humility. I mean, she goes on in. Any woman, when they went to go see the king, was allowed to bring whatever they wanted. But what does Esther ask? Esther asks the eunuch, what should I bring? You, you know him better than I do. What, what should I bring? So you have these qualities of inner beauty, humility. Obviously, we're going to find Esther is a woman of meekness and strength. Our culture doesn't value meekness. But God does. I hear that about my wife. People who know my wife, they're like, man, your wife is a meek person. People think meekness is weakness. No, meekness is strength under control. People say, man, your wife, she must be a pushover. I'm like, <laughs> I just laugh. I'm like, I, can't get, I couldn't name my daughter Zerubbabel if I tried. I wanted to. She wouldn't go there. I can't believe that. You pray for her. Ah, even the little ones are laughing. Like, that's a good one. Father, dad, yeah. But Esther is, she's chosen by God for a reason. See, God knows all that's going to go on. And God has ordained that Esther lands in the spot that she lands. Now, if we personalize that, do you realize that God designed you for such a time as this in the details that you're in? Do you think Esther's unique? I hope you don't. Because for such a time as this, God is raising Esther up. And I believe that God is raising each one of us up for such a time as this. That God has chosen you for your details and your circumstances in this season for a reason. And God wants a person in the midst of a context to be his son, his daughter, who can be a part of what he's trying to do. But I think for a lot of us, we just feel victims of our circumstances and not feeling the sense that God has me here for a reason. Doesn't it change the way you look at your life if you realize I'm not a victim of my circumstances? I am chosen by God for a reason for such a time as this. That's a radical perspective shift. And I don't believe it's an overstatement of what God is doing in any of our lives. Will you embrace that today? Over and over again, we find that Esther found favor with people. Listen to what it says in Proverbs chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. Let not mercy and truth forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. And so find favor and high esteem in the sight of God and man. Wow. When mercy and truth are bound around your neck, when your life is founded on the mercy of God and the truth of God's word, when you write those things on your heart, when you have that interior beauty that comes from knowing Jesus and walking with Jesus, then you will find honor and high esteem both with God and with people. See, God's ways of honoring people are so different. Our culture says, be the loudest, strongest, most dominating person. And God's just like, yeah, that's not the way I roll. God says, no, 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 I want you to be humble. And I want you to be merciful. I want you to be truthful. And I want you not just to have outer beauty, but inner beauty. And when you have inner beauty, then you're going to see 
blessings, God's blessings. Such a different way to be. And we find ultimately that Esther is chosen. She wins season one of The Bachelor. She's the one who's chosen. She gets to marry the king, the new queen of the Medo-Persian Empire. One interesting note, she never tells him her nationality. You notice in there, Mordecai said, don't tell him who your people are. And it could be because, of course, he wouldn't have married someone who was Jewish, a Jewish princess. Could be that. But Mordecai says, don't tell anybody your nationality, and she doesn't do it. But she gets chosen. She's the new queen. Now, this is kind of the last introductory piece of what we need to see here in this story. So look at what it says. Verse 19. When virgins were gathered together a second time, Mordecai sat within the king's gate. Now, Esther had not revealed her family and her people, just as Mordecai had charged her. For Esther obeyed the command of Mordecai, as when she was brought up by him. In those days, while Mordecai sat within the king's gate, two of the king's eunuchs, Bigthan and Teresh, doorkeepers, became furious and sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So the matter became known to Mordecai, who told Queen Esther, and Esther informed the king in Mordecai's name, and when an inquiry was made into the matter, it was confirmed and both were hanged on a gallows, and it was written in the book of the Chronicles in the presence of the king. Now, imagine this. Now, Esther's the queen, right? And her cousin, her uncle, Mordecai, is sitting within the king's gate, and he realizes there's a plot to kill the king. And Mordecai hears about this, and he reports it to Esther. Esther reports it in the hearing of the king, uh, an inquiry is made into it, and these two men were found to be guilty of treason, trying to kill the king. And we find out that this is written down. Now, what do we learn about this? We learn that the people of God do something. The people of God do something. See, I believe that when God puts us in situations where we know something that somebody is either going to get hurt or there's a situation, we actually, by God, have a spiritual imperative to actually do something. Like, God doesn't give us these opportunities for no reason, just so we know it and go kind of gossip about it. Like, we should be people of action and Mordecai is a man of action, right? He sees what's going on. He goes right to Queen Esther and says, listen, this is what's going on. And then sure enough, it happens. And princess, I wanna, I'm going to close with this. For too many of us, we believe that Christianity is just something that you believe. No, Christianity is a person we know and a life that we live. And the person we know and the life that we live is based on what we believe. But you need to do something. Jesus is real. Esther was not only beautiful on the outside, but the inside as well. She was singled out because of her gentle and quiet spirit. Her story was one of humility. Our culture doesn't value meekness, but God does. He knows the future and he uses our gifts. We're so happy that you're a part of the Jesus is Real radio family. 
Jesus is Real Radio is a listener-supported program. We want to let the whole world know that Jesus is real. Your donations help make this possible. You can become a monthly supporter or give a one-time gift by text message. It's easy. Simply text your gift to 855-910-8300. That's 855-910-8300. Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram have become a regular part of our everyday lives. And we want to be sure to encourage you to check out Pastor Daniel's Facebook page, Twitter feed, and Instagram. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow the links. Pastor Daniel shares two-minute video messages throughout the week on his Facebook page. Log on to JesusIsRealRadio.com and follow Pastor Daniel. Make sure to tune in again as Pastor Daniel will share how the tension between Esther's cousin and Haman began. For a person used to being admired, having one detractor is too much for him to handle. There's much more to come from Pastor Daniel's series entitled, For Such a Time. Please glance at the clock right now and make plans to join us again for another edition of Jesus is Real Radio.